Hello, and welcome back to Season 5 of the Hearsay Podcast. My name is AJ, and today, along with Amanda and Athena, we will be speaking with Lorraine Hardcastle, Associate Professor at the UCalgary Faculty of Law, with a joint appointment to the Department of Community Health Sciences at the Cummings School of Medicine, and Ryan Phillips, a partner at JSS Barristers, whose many practice areas include privacy and employment law. Today is part one of our series on employment law, and we'll be speaking about privacy and employment. In the spirit of reconciliation, we'd first like to acknowledge that hearsay is recorded on Treaty 7 territory. We acknowledge that Treaty 7 territory is the traditional and ancestral territory of the Blackfoot Confederacy, consisting of the Kenai, Pekani, and Siksika, as well as the Sutina Nation and Stony Nakoda First Nation. We acknowledge that this territory is home to the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3, within the historical Northwest Métis homeland. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis and Inuit, who have lived in and cared for these lands for generations. We are grateful for the traditional knowledge keepers and elders who are still with us today and who have, those who have gone before us. We make this acknowledgement as an act of gratitude to those whose territory we reside on or are visiting. Welcome back to the Hearsay Podcast. My name is AJ, and today I'm here with Amanda and Professor Lorraine Hardcastle, and we'll be speaking a little bit about privacy, COVID-19 vaccine mandates, and employment. Thank you for joining us, Professor Hardcastle. Thank you for having me. Before we jump into the topic of vaccine mandates, we'd like to start with the question of what privacy rights do employees have in Alberta? Privacy has been an ongoing issue with vaccine mandates, both in the context of vaccine passports for individuals and then for for employees as well. Um, In terms of of privacy rights, though, I think it's it's useful to to think of privacy rights as not being absolute. Um, Much of what's contained in, in privacy laws, whether we're talking about individuals or we're talking about employees, is is that while ordinarily you you have a right to expect that information including health information is private that 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 there are there is a balancing that happens and that the public health uh, crisis that we're currently in um, may present a, a reason to collect information that employers or others wouldn't normally be in the business of collecting when employers or others collect that information, what responsibilities do they have with it? Yeah, so employers or, or others who are collecting vaccine information need to think through the, the purposes for which they're collecting that information, um, making sure they're collecting no more information than is necessary to, to achieve that purpose. Uh, they need to think through whether whatever information they're collecting has appropriate safeguards around its its storage. And then they need to be continually uh, reviewing their policies because of course, hopefully at some point we get out of this and this, this information collection becomes unnecessary. Um, and so employers want to be continually reviewing whether, whether what they're collecting is still necessary and uh, is still reasonable. What is a vaccine mandate in Alberta? Yeah, so so in Alberta, um, and there's a lot of terminology that's thrown around here, vaccine passports, vaccine mandates, the restriction exemption program, of course. So in Alberta, what we what we have is, of course, we have private businesses who, um, if they fall into certain categories like restaurants, are able to opt into the province's uh, 
restriction exemption program, which is that if individuals have been vaccinated, um, that that then that that business doesn't have to have the same level of restrictions that it would have if it was serving an unvaccinated population. The, the controversy there, of course, is the latest decision, which is the government has said that it's not going to bring the five to 11 year olds into that restriction exemption program. It will continue to only apply to, to 12 plus. So that's the that's part of, of the vaccine um, law and policy in Alberta. And then the other piece are we're seeing vaccine mandates in the workplace. And uh, some of the province's largest employers, like Alberta Health Services, um, the city of Calgary, several large private private banks, airlines, et cetera, have, have now shifted to requiring their employees to provide proof of vaccine or um, and what the con- what the or is, what the consequences are, depend on the particular employer. Uh, but for many, it will be putting these these employees on um, unpaid leave. And I think that uh, we're seeing big businesses do this, big big companies do this, and we're starting to see the courts um, already in in some jurisdictions uphold these mandates. And I think as we see larger businesses do this, we'll start to see a a snowballing effect where smaller businesses who may have been concerned about the legal risks of requiring their employees to get vaccinated will be more comfortable doing so um, once they see bigger businesses doing it and once they see the courts upholding these these uh, mandates in the work. For a business to opt in, are there any legal requirements they need to meet? For instance, in light of privacy issues, do they have to have certain resources to securely store their employees' vaccine information? Yeah, so so certainly uh, employers, whether they be in the in the public sector or in the in the private sector, employers are already bound by privacy laws in terms of the collection of information from employees, from customers, etc. And so businesses would already have privacy policies in place for the collection of, of personal information and how information is is stored. And so in some ways, this is, is just part of um, their usual practices, their usual collection of information. It's just additional information to what they, they already collect and, and what they already think about how to store in a manner that's, that's safe and secure. And so I think that at the beginning, we heard Um, from the government and and from some others that they were very concerned with the privacy implications of this. But I think that um, in many ways that was a a red herring and it it was not a a prohibitive legal risk. It was just an issue to be managed. And at the beginning, we actually had heard from the the premier that this may be contrary to health information laws, um, perhaps not the letter of those laws, but the, the spirit of those laws and I think that those that those privacy concerns might have been overstated at the at, at the beginning. You're listening to the Hearsay Podcast on CGSW 90.9. Thank you, Professor Hardcastle, for that breakdown on vaccine mandates and privacy. Now we're going to send it over to Athena, who is speaking with Ryan Phillips. Welcome to Hearsay. 
I'm here with our guest, Ryan Phillips, who will be speaking with us today about privacy, specifically the privacy rights of employees in Alberta. Thank you so much for coming in, Ryan. Our first question for you today is, do employees have a right to privacy from their employers? And what do these rights look like? Yeah, so there's uh, it's a short question, but there's a lot to answer there. Um, so I think I'd like to start by just explaining what the framework is uh, in Alberta for privacy rights. And in the private sector, when we're talking about employment, uh, we're going to deal with the Personal Information Protection Act, which uh, is referred to as PIPA. That applies to the collection of personal information, including personal information of employees. Um, there's a federal statute, and then there's also a statute uh, that we call FOIP that deals with public bodies. Um, so I think most people will be interested in uh, the private sector in Alberta, and that's what we'll discuss. Uh, there's special rules in PIPA for employee information. Under PIPA, organizations can only collect personal information for reasonable purposes and to the extent reasonably needed for that purpose. Yeah, so the first question is, what is personal employee information? Uh, it's defined in PIPA as uh, the information of uh, an individual that's reasonably required by the organization for the purposes of uh, first, establishing, managing, or terminating an employment, and uh, second, managing a post-employment relationship. Uh, it does not include personal information about the individual that is unrelated to that relationship. So obviously information that's not related to employment. Uh, the key words there are uh, what's reasonably required. So the employee's, the employee's privacy right in the workplace is impacted by what is reasonably required by the employer to manage that relationship. That's really the key to an employee's privacy rights in the employment relationship is what's reasonably required to manage that relationship. PIPA primarily relies on an individual's consent, and it sets limits around what information organizations may collect and how they can collect it. Uh, And that's so individuals can control how their information is collected, used, and disclosed. Consent can come in many different ways, verbally in writing, uh, or by voluntarily providing the information, or by not opting out after receipt of a clear notification. And so when consent is provided, I think everybody would be understanding what information they're giving and uh, knowing what what, uh, privacy rights are impacted. And so I think what most people would be interested in is when uh, information can be collected, used, or disclosed without consent. Even if an organization, and when I say organization, that that broadly refers to employers and and, uh, the private entities that are covered by PIPA, um, even if an organization uh, gets consent, they can only collect, use, or disclose the personal information for the purposes provided in the notice and to the extent reasonable for that purpose. So even if you consent, it doesn't mean that your information can be used for any purpose. Uh, it's only for the purpose of your employment. So most of the time, the organization needs consent when they collect personal information, but there's some limited and specific exceptions to that. One is if it's clearly in the person's interest and timely consent can't be obtained or if the person would not reasonably expected to withhold it. So you can imagine some cases of emergency where uh, that's not necessary to get consent. The more important exception, the one that's uh, usually relied upon, is uh, the collection of personal employee information related to recruiting, managing, or terminating personnel. And where this this usually happens in the employment context is uh, for current employees with their employer's policies. Uh, those can oftentimes be overlooked, but they're an important source for how your privacy rights will be affected in the workplace. Um, So it's important to know your employer's policies because that obviously impacts your privacy. PIPA sets out the basic framework, relying on what's reasonable and what's reasonably required in order to manage that relationship. 
but the policies actually show how that is impacted in practice, and they're highly context-specific. It sounds like employers have a lot of discretion. As an employer, is there any information that is completely off-limits? Yeah, so as I mentioned, information that's unrelated to the employment relationship. Um, there's not really anything explicitly that cannot be collected. It's just what is reasonable. Usually it comes down to the outcome of what would happen if you don't. But you can um, imagine certain situations uh, where it's obvious that something isn't reasonable to be collected. So, for example, birth control, whether, whether somebody's on birth control. It's hard to imagine how that's reasonably required for the managing the employment relationship. Uh, and then, of course, this, the next step after that is, well, if you're requesting it to collect that information, what are you going to use it for is that to make a decision about my employment relationship? Um, so that type of thing would be something that's clearly unrelated to your employment relationship. Is there anything that you can do as an employee if you don't like the information that you're being asked to provide? I think the real issue is what happens if you refuse to provide information. Um, and so if I could just take a contemporary example and talk about um, vaccine information, vaccine okay. status, um, that would likely fall into the definition of personal employee information, um, the, uh, an employee's vaccination status. Uh, consent isn't required to collect um, that information when it's collected solely for the purposes of managing the work relationship. But there's likely no other way for the employer to actually get that information without consent or cooperation. The employer can only collect that information for purposes that are reasonable. And so um, the employee may be asking, is it reasonable that I have to provide that information? Um, it's arguable that in most workplaces, that public health and uh, workplace safety issues would make the collection of that information reasonable. Employers should then notify the employees of the purpose of that collection. Um, and offer uh, the name and title of a person who can answer questions about that. Um, but the uh, in pretty much all cases, the employer would actually have to have consent of the employee to disclose that to anybody. Um, yeah, so what happens if you're, you refuse to provide that information using the vaccine uh, status as an example? And, uh, you know, the employee would cite the right to control the collection of their personal information, and the employer would say um, that they're entitled to that information to manage the uh, employment relationship. And so we've seen that recently many employers implement policies like that regarding vaccination status. And so depending on the workplace, if that information is actually reasonably required to manage the relationship and you fail to comply with the policy, then uh, that means you could be subject to disciplinary action, including up to termination of your employment. And again, it comes back to what's reasonable and it's very context specific for the uh, work relationship and the type of work that's being done. But um, if you're requested to provide personal information, for example, vaccination status, there's a policy in place. It's reasonably required for that um, work relationship to manage it. Uh, then uh, you, you would be obligated to provide that. And if you don't, then you can be subject to disciplinary action from your employer. So if an employee is unhappy with what information has been collected, what are their avenues to find out what information their employer even has? Yeah. It's, it's a good point. I'm sure that internally with a lot of employers, they have policies about that. But um, under the legislation, under PIPA, you have the right to request what information has been collected about you. Um, so making that information request is probably a useful exercise for a lot of people that have that concern. And then finding out what information has been collected about you would then um, perhaps let you find out if it's been appropriate or uh, also whether it's been used or disclosed and whether anything inappropriate happens. And then 
um, you know, there's that level of oversight. Once you get that, that you can request a review um, from the uh, Office of the Information and Privacy Commissioner. But the Information and Privacy Commissioner is the exclusive regulator of privacy rights in Alberta under under uh, three home statutes, under PIPA, FOIP, um, and the Health Information Act. And so uh, when it comes down to privacy rights in the, in the private sector, uh, it's PIPA that applies to that. So going beyond information being offered uh, from the employee to the employer, are there any privacy rights regarding how closely your employer can monitor your behavior in the workplace? So when you're at work, if you do something that your employer thinks is inappropriate, how closely are they allowed to watch you? And does this change if you're working from home? Yeah, and so I'll address the, the first part of that and then uh, deal with the working from home, which is a situation for a lot of people these days. Um, you'll, you'll notice if, uh, if you're employed and you use a work computer, usually when you log in, you'll get a notice that says uh, your use of this work computer is subject to the employer's policies. And by using it, you agree to those policies and you click OK. Uh, that's really your reasonable notice um, of the, the purpose for which your personal information is being collected. And obviously, the expectation is you're going to be using it for work purposes. There's probably some latitude to, uh, in some workplaces to use it for some uh, other personal purposes. But uh, regardless, any personal information that's um, uh, conveyed in that context by you as an employee uh, could be monitored by your uh, employer. Obviously, you're using... Uh, uh, the work equipment, and uh, in that context, the employer is uh, entitled to manage the work relationship by monitoring what you're doing with that work equipment. And it, again, comes back to the policy uh, that the specific employer has implemented. And so um, in, uh, in the context of uh, collection of personal information, because in PIPA we come back to the, these three concepts of collection, use, and disclosure, which are all distinct things, so the collection of personal information probably is a bit broader there. Um, uh, the issue after that really comes to what use the personal information is put to. And so simply monitoring uh, what you're doing with the work laptop or whatever it may be is probably more acceptable than uh, to what use it's being put. And then, you know, when we're talking about working from home, uh, again, it depends on your work setup. If you're using your employer's uh, computer equipment, um, probably the same thing applies if you're remoting in and accepting the policy and, and doing that. Um, I suppose there there could be situations where because you're at home, you're possibly not spending all of your uh, work time devoted to uh, the work that you're expected to do, and there's probably more flexible hours. So uh, it's, it's an interesting issue um, and one that, uh, again, is highly context-specific. Um, it depends what kind of line of work you're in, and if you have prescribed hours, if you're expected to be at your computer from 8 to 12 and 1 to 5, um, that's probably a lot different than someone like a lawyer who's expected to uh, manage their hours and, uh, you know, act in a professional role and uh, ensure you get your work done. So these workplace policies, how far can they stretch outside of the workplace? If your employer finds that you've done something that has been made public, that doesn't align with, say, a code of conduct, are they allowed to take disciplinary action because it occurred outside of work hours? Yeah, that's an interesting issue. Um, it really depends um, what you choose to do with your personal behavior and whether you choose to make it public, for example, by posting it on social media or um, otherwise. Um, it comes back to workplace policies again and those 
there's a test for applying those and whether there's been a breach of those, um, which not surprisingly comes back to first whether it's reasonable and then mm-hmm. applying it. Um, you know, you can take an example. If you work at a company in a particular sector and there's a policy that you can't express views that are uh, contrary or anti to that sector, uh, yet you do so on social media, then your personal behavior has become public and it may be collected, used, or disclosed by your employer for the purposes of managing the relationship. And that's particularly the case if you're representing yourself as an employee of a certain company and you've done something that breaches a policy or strikes at the heart of the employment relationship. Um, The issue uh, also is impacted by whether you're in a profession that's regulated in some way, like lawyers, doctors, or accountants. Um, One of the things about lawyers is that we're regulated members and our private lives are to some extent regulated. So lawyers can be sanctioned for conduct when it arises from conduct in their private lives, not in the course of their practice. Um, That's an example of something that you think is in your private life, but if you're purporting to post something on a blog uh, using your role as a lawyer um, and expressing an opinion in that capacity, you might think it's your private life and you're entitled to do what you want, but you're actually a regulated member, and that can attract sanction from your regulator or the interest of your employer. And... uh, In my view, that would be entirely reasonable for your employer to be monitoring that type of activity and using it to manage the work relationship. You're listening to the Hearsay Podcast on CGSW 90.9. What about if conduct uh, that you intended to be private is made public by another person? So say you posted something, but it was on your private social media that was not affiliated with your workplace, and then somebody took a screenshot of it, for example. I think we've seen a few cases recently in the news and um, happening in Canada and in other countries where uh, people post things on social media that they don't intend to reflect on their workplace, that their workplace then follows up with them about. Yeah, and uh, so when it comes back to your workplace... It again comes back to whether it's necessary or reasonably required to manage your uh, employment relationship. And so if it's unrelated to your employment, then it's arguable that um, it's not something that um, could be collected, used, or disclosed for your employment relationship. But um, I think uh, in the examples that we're thinking of, those types of things would probably cast a a negative um, cloud over the reputation of the company. And uh, a lot of companies are interested in protecting their reputation in those examples, it's it's probably reasonable for the employer to be monitoring um, that information and using it to manage the work relationship. There's a, a separate example, I guess, that takes us kind of outside of the employment context and more into uh, perhaps a more modern example than what we've been hearing in the news. Um, you know, an example is uh, if uh, images... Uh, perhaps intimate images are sent to somebody in private and then somebody else decides to make those public. That's that's an evolving issue, and there's actually an interesting decision from the Alberta Court of Queen's Bench recently this year uh, that deals with that. Um, there's a tort for the public disclosure of private facts. And uh, in uh, in that case, I'll, I'll just explain it briefly because I, I find it kind of interesting. It's a very, uh, it's an evolving area of the law dealing with privacy. Um, it's uh, E.S. and Shillington, uh, 2021, ABQB 739. Uh, in that case, the court recognized uh, that tort. And to prove liability, the plaintiff has to prove, uh, first, that the defendant publicized an aspect of the plaintiff's private life. Second, the plaintiff did not consent to the publication. Third, the matter publicized would be highly offensive to a reasonable person in the plaintiff's position. And fourth, the publication was not of legitimate concern to the public. 
So we're not dealing with a matter of public interest like a journalist might. Um, so in the context of intimate images in the Shillington case, the plaintiff and defendant were in a long-term relationship that involved abuse. Uh, the defendant was in the armed forces, and in, in the beginning of the relationship, they were long distance. The plaintiff sent intimate photos to him as a private gift. As the relationship collapsed, she discovered the images online and was eventually confronted by a neighbor after being recognized on one of the many websites with the images. She suffered ongoing psychological injuries. She sued the defendant and was successful. Um, and so uh, that's, that's a case uh, which deals with an emerging problem, uh, which has been dealt with by statute in Alberta now. Um, but this, this tort is interesting, in my view, because it's not limited to just the uh, publication of intimate photos. Uh, it, it possibly broadens it to other aspects of private life, other private facts. And so it remains to be seen how it's going to be applied. Uh, but it's a, it's a positive development for privacy rights. And that does raise an interesting question. At what point does personal behavior go from a private matter to a public matter? At what point can something be said to be public information? And is there a clear answer? Yeah, I, I don't think there's a clear answer. I think it would come come to intent of the, the person who the information belongs to. And so if we take that last example I referred to with the intimate photos, obviously the intent in the first place was to uh, give them as a private gift or a private communication, and then the, the second person makes them public. So clearly that wasn't intended to be public, and that's what the common law has evolved to address in that case. Um, and so, you know, another example you might find is with uh, protests or rallies. If somebody attends um, and ends up finding themselves in a picture that somebody else took and posts online, um, it's arguable that they didn't intend to uh, have their image put out there and to be associated with that movement. But at the same time, if they were there for that purpose, then um, they probably did. So uh, it's, it's uh, again, highly fact-specific and context-specific. So... There's not a clear answer to that, but I would say it comes down to the intent of the person um, whose personal information it is, which is, of course, uh, how this framework is governed in Alberta with PIPA, primarily first by consent. Have you consented in some way to having your personal information put out there? Um, and if you haven't, then is there some exception for the use, collection, or disclosure of your information? You've talked a lot about some pretty ambiguous terms that are pretty hard to define, like consent, for example. How does a court or a fact finder figure out when consent has been obtained? Yeah, it's, uh, there, there is a section in PIPA that deals with consent and sets out the various ways that it can occur uh, under Section 7. Um, so usually in the employment context, it's not much of an issue, but outside of that, I, yeah, I think you can expect that it would be. Yeah. I imagine this issue gets even more difficult when you're not clearly identifiable in any information or images that happen to be displayed on any social media. How affiliated do you need to be with your image or with your behavior for it to be identified as personal information? Yeah, and so, you know, personal information has to be something that identifies the person um, in some way. So certainly it would have to rise to that threshold to be information that's sensitive and, and uh, personal and attracts those protections. So if you're not able to identify someone with the information, then it's probably not personal information. You're listening to the Hearsay Podcast on CGSW 90.9. I would like to thank Ryan Phillips and Professor Hardcastle for taking the time to speak with us. The Hearsay Podcast is proud to present you with legal information, but it's important to remember that this is information and does not constitute legal advice. 
We are law students, not lawyers, and the podcast is purely for informational purposes. If you do require legal advice, please consult a lawyer, as there is no substitute for a professional. Thank you for listening to the Hearsay Podcast. The Hearsay Podcast is a joint project between CGSW and Pro Bono Students Canada, University of Calgary chapter. We would like to take this opportunity to thank CGSW for all of their support. If you'd like to hear more podcasts like this, the Hearsay Podcast can be found on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.